Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 248 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 26th, 2012. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. The regular season for the USC Trojans is done. 7-5, and five, not exactly what people expected, and losing to UCLA and Notre Dame consecutive weeks. We got to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber later on the show, and we'll have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Lots of topics to get to, lots of your questions, and if you want to email us, we'll be doing this podcast every week like we have been for the last few years, all through the offseason, talking about recruiting, talking about the team, spring practice, all of that. So you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call 206-888-6755, or you can go to peristylepodcast.com and click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail there well we got to get to we got a lot of topics to get to so i want to jump right in here with coach harvey hyde what's up coach thanks for joining us well uh, it's been a tough weekend for trojan fans and uh and uh when you look at the overall picture of expectations this year and uh, what absolutely uh, how it panned out uh, there's a lot of uh commotion let's use that and disappointment in the trojan family out there and uh Rather than me talk about it, uh, I know you have a lot of uh, questions you have from our listeners. And again, I want to thank all of our listeners. And I want our listeners to stay with us the whole year because we always try to target uh, your uh, questions and also add what we might know or hear about USC football or any of the aspects of the game. And recruiting is not far away. In fact, Ryan, do you know the date of uh, National Letter of Intent? Is it February what, 3rd or 6th or what is it? Um, so February, it's always the first Wednesday of February, and this year it's actually February 6th. February 6th. That's what I thought. Okay, so we'll have a lot to talk about that. And, of course, recruiting day, that's an exciting day. And currently right now the Trojans are ranked number one by Rivals.com as far as their opinion on the players that they have assembled that have verbally committed. Uh, are they a number one class or not? Uh, I think the only way you really can tell is how they play when they're on the football field. But let's move on. All right. Well, I wanted to thank our sponsor, uh, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com. You need tickets for USC's bowl game. We still don't know where that's going to be or any of the other sporting events going on in Southern California or across the country. Go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. And it is Cyber Monday, so you can use that website. Um, And you can actually, for uscfootball.com, if you want to be a subscriber and you're not yet, we have a 30-day free trial going on. You can use USC30 as the promo code. And if you're already a subscriber and you want to give a gift of a uscfootball.com subscription, you can do that as well. And you'll get 30 free days on your subscription if you give someone else the gift of inside scoop on uscfootball.com. So lots going on this Cyber Monday. You a big Cyber Monday guy, Coach? Am I a big what? Cyber Monday. It's like it's like Black Friday, but for the internet. So all the big internet deals are going on today. Uh, I don't know anything about that stuff. <laughs> all I know it's Monday. Okay. It's, 
<laughs> okay. Well, we, there are a lot of questions to get to, and I heard most of the four hours of your uh, Trojan brunch yesterday on the LA Radio 710 uh, ESPN Radio. So you got you got a lot of USC talk. So hopefully you you still left a little bit for us here on the podcast. Um, here's a we got some questions to get to. I'll jump right in. Here's a voicemail question for you about uh, about Lane Kiffin. Hello, Ryan. This is Jim in Oregon. Uh, well, our season is finally over, and all we've got left is a minor bowl. But in watching the Notre Dame game, it was obvious that Lane Kiffin hasn't learned a thing, and I'm sure they'll blame the loss on the fact that we had to start an untried freshman quarterback. But his play calling and game plan was consistent as it's been through the whole month of, of November, and I don't think he has learned a thing. But one bright light that really shone was the officiating. Of all the games this year I've seen on the Pac-12, and I've seen three or four each week, this was by far the best officiating crew I've ever seen. Oh, that's right, they're from the East Coast. Oh, well, it was still a brilliant performance. It's too bad that we can't afford the airfare it would take to get officials of that caliber to come out to the West Coast to do our games. I think it would be well worth the money. Anyway, fight on. Well, thank you very much for your call. I have to agree with you. The Big East crew, I thought, did a good job. At first, when the selection of the Big East crew was part of it, I said, "Uh uh-oh, a little bit too far east. But no, they did a tremendous job. They talked uh, things over. They called the game perfectly. If you notice... Very few penalties called in the game, and when they called them, uh, obviously they were penalties that should be called. You know, if you looked at holding, there's holding on every play, if you want to be specific about that. You know, even sometimes as a coach, and uh, a lot of people don't want to hear this, you teach it. If the guy's better than you, you better find a way to block him. Just hold with the inside hand, never the outside hand, and always in the front of the jersey and keep close to you. Giving you a few little coaching tips along the way. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was a great... uh, 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 officiated game. SC, uh, what, three penalties? Wow, that's tremendous. Enough that uh, certainly didn't determine the outcome of the game. So you can't look at it that way when you look at the play calling, the game itself. Uh, there are a lot of questions about that. We could. Uh, it would take me, I would just have to answer one question to get into all of that. But there's times during the game that you questioned up as far as how time management was used, as far as at the end of the half the end of the game when you had a lot of you know opportunities to speed up the clock and you're huddling and and maybe at times uh throw a pass or you know two or three plays in the difference is the difference of the game it really is two or three plays even as poorly as what was going on if uh kiffin had to run down and call timeout and i don't know somebody told me that the kid dropped the ball but i don't know if he did or not on the instant replay i didn't really see that and if Mark if Marquise Lee would have maybe got into the end zone and a couple other plays there at the end of the half, uh, one second left, and they kicked the kid kicks his career longest field goal. Are you kidding me? You couldn't have burned up a second somewhere? Well, I'm not saying you knew that was going to happen, but I'm saying, you know, those type of things can beat you in a football game, and you can't afford to have turnovers, which, again, has been the story of USC the entire year. Uh, I'm not pointing my finger at any one individual player, but it was a combination of everything. Combination of everything, offensively, defensively. How about the special teams 
game against UCLA. Uh, I don't know how the best way to describe that. All right, Coach, one of the big topics that people wanted to talk about was the uh, goal line situation at the end of the game. We had two voicemail questions on that. Uh, here's the first one. Hi, this is uh, Steve from Fresno. I'm a first-time caller, and I love the podcast. I've been listening for years. My question is for Harvey Hyde, and I'm curious. Uh, I once heard a saying that was said by Einstein that when you repeat something over and over again and expect a different result, it's the definition of insanity. How many times on uh, goal line stands when they were pinching their, uh, their safeties down, we could not get off the ball? Why are we doing this over and over again and expecting different result? And how many times do we have to uh, throw that little out pass to Vanuku in the flat and expect him to make a great catch when it's looking like he doesn't have great hands? Anyway, thank you very much and fight on. And then here's the other goal line question. Yeah, just got a quick question for the coach, Coach Harvey Hyde. Um, the game Saturday night against Notre Dame, uh, I think, you know, towards the end of the game when they were on the goal line, SC was on the goal line. Why do you think they didn't run behind the fullback? You know, I noticed they kept motioning the fullback out and leaving the back back there by himself. Um, just want to know why you think that Kissing kept doing that. And I think it was better if they would just ran behind the fullback and might have gotten the end zone. The goal line situation, I think, is the number one thing that everyone talks about. Eight plays, no scores. You know, what Notre Dame did on that is they know that SC, how many plays did SC run to the outside ever? Ever. Not one in this game. They don't have any threat outside with a quarterback keep. They've never run that hardly on a goal line. Uh, they don't run the toss down there. They didn't run one toss during the entire game, at least uh, – you know, you have an, a lead option or you might get stuck, but you come down the line and toss the ball and you receive a block somebody and you find an opening and get in. But they ran to the strength of Notre Dame's defense every single play, right up the middle where defensive linemen is submarining. They bring their safeties up and they pinch everybody to the inside. And the number one thing you don't do is run delayed plays on the goal line. And they were handing the ball off to Curtis or Reed five yards deep and – the safeties who were blitzing corners outside were meeting the pack at the line of scrimmage on a couple plays. They lost two yards. You can't do that. You've got to be in double tight. You've got to have what you call a, an eye with a strong set, or you run like the Stanford defense. If you're going to run in there like this, Stanford found out they couldn't run inside either. You think you might learn on that. That's where they lost their game to Notre Dame. And you, block those guys from the outside and you have your back. Do you remember the old Sam Bam Cunningham or somebody? You worked at this in practice where you have a lead blocker and you just run in there and jump over the top. I bet you some of these guys can long jump 25 feet, 24 feet. Maybe not one of the running backs, but someone on that team can line up a tailback, run forward, leap into the air, hold the ball with two hands and get in the end zone. But uh, there was a lot of different things you think about and a lot of things that, you know, you talk about today, the quarterback seek and so on. And, and I, you know, it's repeat. It's all repeat. It's just you, you, when you go into the game, you know they're tough down there, so you better have alternate ways of getting in the end zone and what your strength might be to beat them. And uh, the pass interference calls that were down there, they're intentional. I would have taught those too. Would you rather give up a touchdown or just grab the guy and say, okay, 
move it six inches forward, forwards or, or one yard closer. What's the difference? It's better than six points or seven points. So, you know, and I'm not saying that's dirty football. It's smart football. Why give up six or seven points when you just give up five? You know, when you're down in the red zone, how much do they give? Half the, half the way to go, half the distance to the goal line. So uh, then when they throw the ball down there, obviously they go to Banuku. They ran a hurry-up play where they run the line of scrimmage, but no one's set. And that's another thing you don't want because one guy moves and you have a legal procedure. You move back five more yards. And really, Matt didn't get set and didn't throw, or Max didn't throw a great ball. And Vanuku, the ball was thrown good enough for him to catch. And uh, nothing against him. He's not a great receiver. But with the nerves and the pressure on him, along with, you know, uh, at the moment, what fourth down play, he drops the ball. Doesn't make the great play. And not to mention the tight end should have been deeper and running to the flag rather than being that close to Vanuku. But. That's the end of that question. Let's move on. <laughs> well, you kind of talk. There was a lot of topics, Coach, and we did get. I just want to let people know we got a lot of questions in. Uh, we're not going to get to all of them. I'll kind of go over some of the main topics. And we did again. We do this every week. We get these voicemail questions that are like three minutes long. Try to keep it under a minute, or we're not going to play it. We can't play a two uh, two minute and forty five second question. If you keep talking and talking, that's just not going to. We can't play it on the podcast. So I apologize for those questions. We're not going to get to just. Time yourself if you're going to leave a question. I go, wow, that 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 took a, a minute. I'm going to stop right here. Um, but there was a lot of questions, Coach, about Monty Kiffin should be fired. Lane Kiffin should be fired. There's no variety on offense. The goal line series that you, you already talked about, um, not just that the team is losing, you know, being 7-5, and five, but how they're losing. And then a big one is uh, Lane Kiffin's head in his play chart. And that's, I, I know we've talked about that before. Steve kind of had a follow-up with that, and we'll get your thoughts. But uh, he talked about that timeout heard around the world, Lane Kiffin overthinking every little nuance of the game. If our head coach is overthinking every little thing, how do these athletes ever get to just play? Uh, there's complicated scheme, and Kiffin overthinks every tiny thing, and it makes him insane. I don't know about the poor kids playing for him, haven't had their heads explode on the sidelines. And he talked about just Lane Kiffin, you know, not being around, having his head in that play sheet and really not being like a head coach there. He's just kind of, it's almost like he's up in the booth, but he's really on the sidelines. Well, you know, we've talked about this the entire year. Uh, there's a disassociation with most of the team when you're doing that. Mostly uh, when you're doing there or going to coach a game like that, when you want to be away from the team, you go into the press box. As a head football coach, when I was an offensive coordinator, whether you believe this or not, I was in the press box. Uh, the sideline was controlled. I could call the game, see the field, tell everybody what we were going to do from the field, from the press box. You knew down-distance situations. You could see the coverage is better and so on. The team knew that. So the team knew that I was away from them, so they didn't expect me to run over or do things. And you, did, you as a uh, fan, knew where I was and why I was there. But uh, I think that more than anyone else, and it's so obvious that he does it uh, to an extreme where he disassociates himself completely from uh, the team, the kicking game, the offense, the quarterback, the whole package. And I think that everyone knows that. I, I think that it's hard not to talk about that, but it's different than what you see anywhere else. And I think as a, as a head football coach, you've got to show the love to your entire team. 
you've got to be excited when the defense does things. You've got to run over there and jump on them and, you know, watch them pour Gatorade on you and, and get your hair messed up a little bit and and get in, get involved. I mean, let their sweat and blood run on your shirt. And uh, and then I look closely at a lot of things when I watch a football game. I like to watch the early outs. I like to watch how serious people are when they concentrate as far as getting ready. And I don't know if you people notice this, but I notice this. Here we are down on the goal line. We, USC, down on the goal line. And guys are still sitting on a bench with their helmets off, looking at the ground. Exciting. They haven't lost a football game. They're in a game. SC could have won that football game. Being dominated a little bit, but still could have won that game. So how can you be sitting on the bench when I'm eating a full bag of potato chips? I'm so nervous. And biting my tongue at the same time. Guys sitting on the bench? That, that I can't. I just can't imagine. I'd have gone over to them as a head football coach because I looked at all my players. My players never took their helmets off, okay? I'm old school, guys. I'm old school. If I told them to take this helmet off, they took it off. If they take their helmet off, they're not ready to play. Now, if they go over and sit on the bench and they're talking during the – and they're the offensive unit, and my whole offensive unit is on the bench, not just the starting 11. The other guys aren't playing Tinker Toys somewhere. They're all over there with the coach, knowing what the adjustments are and so on. What do you can take your helmet off during that? You're doing a, a, a classroom discussion of what just happened on the field. And you're asking them, what do you think will work and why didn't that work and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'd have told them, hey, guys, go buy a ticket, get the hell out of here and watch a game somewhere else. I think you've got to be aware of all of the emotion and all of the interest in your football team. Maybe you're dressing too many. I mean, I wouldn't just dress kids to dress kids. Uh, they're a distraction to the guys who want to play football. So you've got to get people involved who care, and they've got to be a part of the team. And right now people are talking about the, the play card. Oh, yeah, but that's not why you win or lose. I mean, guys, I mean, we're just looking at things to try to find excuses. It's on the field that makes the difference. And what players call and the attitude of your players and down-distance situations and turnovers and penalties and kids wanting to win for you. Kids wanting to sell out for you. A hundred kids believing in the program and what your goals are. And it didn't start yesterday or it didn't start the week of Notre Dame. It goes back and starts at the very beginning. And it starts at the top with the trustees and Pat Hayden as AD. you got to look at the whole program today. I'd be having a meeting today saying, okay, we're going through everything. Time of practices. Distraction. Who in the hell likes to practice at 7 in the morning? Maybe they like it in Eugene, but there's nothing else to do. But in L.A., <laughs> the kids don't like to practice at 7 in the morning. They maybe want to take their girlfriend out, have a little social life, stay up a little bit, and not get up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. There's a lot of things, the issues with practices being closed. I don't think that's an NCAA stipulation. I think that's a campus stipulation that the administration, if it isn't, I apologize. But the kids practice and nobody watches them practice. The kids say, hey, my, my friends can't even come to practice. You gotta, you gotta, it's like going through the airport. I mean, I'm, I don't know. There's just so many things that you have to look at and decide what will make you a program where kids want to put out, kids want to play, and it all ends up in a W. Not 
records, not stats. God, that's all I hear about. I'm sick of hearing about how many passes somebody caught, and we just broke a record. And Hey, it's the W's that count. It's the W's. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> nice, Coach. Well, I'm glad you brought some of that stuff up you talked about on the Trojan Brunch because we did have some of the voicemail questions. I think Guy sent in one, but it was quite long, so we didn't we weren't able to play it. Um, but things you bring up there are, are good points, and um, the, the player sitting on the sideline it kind of just makes you on the on the bench just makes you shake your head. Um, well, part of the issue everyone has, and this is from Chris, uh, he says his question as a USC fan: What do we have to look forward to besides some lower tier bowl? I know Kiffin will be back. But do you, what do you think will honestly change for this next season? Well, I tell you, uh, it, all the discussion that we're having as far as the changes and so on, first of all, you don't make any, if you're going to make any, I don't even know, coaching changes or anything during this period of time at all. Probably not until after recruiting because you've got a great class and there's a lot of relationships between players and coaches. So what you do is you try to become a better football team. I would have a meeting with the team, and I'd say, whoever doesn't want to play in this game that's a senior doesn't have to. I would want people to know, because I say, we want to win this football game. We want to get better. Uh, Are you underclassmen? We're going to go out there. And seniors, obviously, you're our leaders. You're our captains. You're everything. We want you. But we want everybody to know that we want to win on a winning note. And we want to get better during these practice sessions and I would make those practices like a spring practice. I would get back into what USC football, as far as being physical, is. I don't know what bowl they're going to. It doesn't make any difference what bowl they're going to. If they're looking forward to riding the Ferris wheel, I'd tell them go down and do it some other time or whatever the other things they're doing around that bowl. I would say it's time for us to become a football team and look forward to next year through this bowl game. Somehow we got an extra game to become a better football team. Uh, Let's work towards that as a staff and a football team. And and I would make sure that the players that did understand what I'm talking about would approach practices that way and approach the game that way. I'm not sure how many of these guys are fired up about, oh, we're going to this game, oh, big deal. Hey. Don't worry about where you're going. It's a football game, and you're representing the university, the football tradition, the recruits we're talking about, and the past players who have worn Trojan jerseys. Okay, the guys that have blown-out knees, the guys that can't stand up straight, the guys that are named the field after and different things. It's more than that. Let's be respectable. Let's have some pride and be able to walk around this campus this off season without hanging our damn head. I want to look forward to go recruiting and going into homes because we have a chance to play, I hope, a pretty good football team. And I wouldn't want to play just anybody. I'd want to play whoever I had to play. The best team they could play, Texas. Right now, if SC was to go to the Holiday Bowl and play Texas, it'd be a great game. I'd challenge it. Texas got great players. They're not. They had a disappointing season. They still got to play Kansas State, but we want to go down there and beat their ass. Excuse me, ladies. But uh, that's my feeling. That's my feeling on this bowl game, okay? It's an opportunity to find out who really wants to play football. Let's move on. Okay, uh, let's go to Sean. He says, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but overall, do you think it was a good decision 
for Lane and Monty to revamp the style of the defense we play. I understand they tried to get faster at the linebacker position for teams like Oregon and such, but the Oregon of now and the Oregon of the Pete Carroll era are not that different. The entire conference is not that different. To me, the reason why USC was so dominant in the 2000s was because we were built like an SEC team, physical front seven on defense, deep, and in the secondary that laid the and a secondary that laid the wood offensively. We've had a good QB, but all that was set up through the run. There's a reason why USC was referred to as tailback U. That's from Sean. Well, Sean, uh, you're pretty sharp as far as evaluating physical football. Uh, yeah, uh, I want you to know <clears throat> you got to be tough and you got to be physical on both sides of the football, offensive and defensive lines to have any type of football team, okay? And you've got to be able to have different different blocking schemes rather than just one scheme. And you got to have different running plays rather than one running play. Or if you get in an eye, you know exactly what the play's going to be. And you get away from formation tendencies. And you, you'll be able to trap. You'll be able to run off tackle. You'll be able to double team, kick out, lead through. And you run the zone blocking too. You know, you just can't be one-dimensional. You have more pass routes than you do just one running play. And I think in the Notre Dame game, if I can remember, I think they ran two running plays. Never ran a toss. Ran a reverse with the tailback with a reverse uh, handoff and one with the open handoff. Same blocking scheme. I don't know if they did any double-team guard throughs. I don't remember seeing any of that whatsoever. So, yeah, you've got to be very physical. And you've got to be able to run outside as well as inside. You just can't have one-dimensional one play. I mean, it gets to be a little boring as far as the practice, too. And people get soft because all they do is pass block, pass block. And I think you've heard me talk about that the entire year, working goal line offense with 12 guys on the defense and just saying, hey, guys, there ain't no bull about this. We're going to score, and we're not going in until we score. So many times in a row with three plays on the five-yard line. So these are just different ways of teaching. This is my philosophy. It doesn't have to be everybody's philosophy. Let's take a look at Stanford. Stanford, how physical are they? you think they have a bunch of fast guys? They have a bunch of fast guys, but the number one thing they have is some guys that paint up their faces with warped, and they mean it. They don't have the tomahawks in their hand, but I want to tell you one thing. You can't block them. They're just so powerful and fast, and they run fast. They get to the football, and they get it done, and they keep it simple. And they run in, and they confuse you a bit. They have different schemes in their secondary Stays back there, and they're around the football, and they come up and they force. Uh, and I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't think you can run the, the Tampa 2. I'm just saying right now against a lot of the things you're doing today. Because what happens when it's a third down situation and, say, 10 yards to go, you're rushing four guys, rushing four guys. No one's holding up to see, especially if it's a mobile quarterback that can run. They haven't contained a quarterback the entire year, up the middle or outside. And you're turning your backs to the line of scrimmage. You're running back as a middle linebacker to cover deep middle or the corner or whatever. How the hell can you see anything? How can you react to the quarterback or draws? And that's another thing, talking about the offensive side. How many draw places places SC run with the number of number of passes they throw so you know you got to have complete packages and you got to be it's not you know you got to run a scheme that that 
you got to have better plays. Not either one or two things are going on, and I'm not trying to upset parents, but either the coaches aren't coaching these kids up, or they've mis, mis, misjudged by Rivals.com and all of these things out there. With difference between a four and a five star and a three star and a two star, because when I watch some of these kids play, they're getting beat by two stars and three stars as far as their high school evaluations go. So I, I look and I say, what the hell's going on? That's part of the administration and part of Pat Hayden and part of Lane Kiffin's job, not mine. All I do is say, see what I'm seeing and what the results are. Um, one last thing for you, Coach. Uh, there's Brian has a question. He says, is it just me or does Lane take the idea of running a play until you stop it too literally. In fact, it seems like he runs a play over a few times after they stop it just to make sure. And coach, the what I noticed in the beginning of the game was it I, I felt that Lane Kiffin wasn't going to make it look like a conservative approach because he got a lot of criticism for being too conservative when Mitch Mustaine took over two years ago. But I would argue that it, he was very conservative. I mean, they the passes, most of the passes they threw, especially the beginning of the game, but almost throughout the whole game were the bubble screens or screen passes right to the sideline, kind of quick, um, quick things that you know you, there wasn't a whole lot of risk or, or long bombs. And I think the long bombs look like, hey, we're we're going downfield, we're taking a risk, but it's kind of like it's a it's a punt or you know if, if it's intercepted, it's a punt. It's no big deal. We saw one of those that, to start the, I think it was to start the second half. It was a long bomb and it, or you know one of the plays of the second half it was a long bomb that was intercepted. But it seemed like it still was kind of conservative as far as. They're only going to run these kind of plays, these type of plays, as opposed to kind of opening it up and letting Max Wittick do some different things, like you said, throw into tight ends or or throw into backs out of the backfield, screen passes to, to the running backs, things like that. Well, I don't know what his philosophy was going into the game. Obviously, you know, uh, you've heard about Notre Dame's defensive front and so on, and he tested it early, and he had some success with it because the way they were covering the right receivers – it's seven in the box, and then when you do that, man, you can run right at them. They don't have any immediate support if you if you get through the line of scrimmage. He was successful, but he gave it up, and he he burned it out early. And then he lost confidence in it. And uh, but that that's you know that's what his game plan was. Uh, what his game plan was, I don't know. I think that Notre Dame confused him at times with their coverages. But you have other routes that you can run. How about a how about a back down the seam, or how about how about the tight end delay? You know, uh, when a tight end blocks and then you let him go and you run him right over the middle and he runs at the open area or curls. Or, I mean, I I haven't seen a tight end hardly run a curl. He's run a stop and turn, but slide to the open area. Or receiver slide to the open area. Or, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to second guess, but I think they have too much where they don't know what to pick for, to do. Uh, you've got to have series. I've said this a hundred times. Like, like the one time, how do you run Lee east and west on a reverse or whatever the hell that play was down there on the goal line? How many times have I we talked about that type of play well, you put a kid in a position, he did it at UCLA, and he fumbled the ball, and they did it again. I don't know. It's like it's 31 flavors, you know, picking the <laughs> number, say this play. So I hate to be this critical, but I like Lane Kiffin as a person. 
But my job is when you ask me a question, to answer the question. If I don't answer it the way way that suits you, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I apologize to everybody. And if you're a parent of a player, I know how flustered you are. And I've been there on that side. And I know how you hurt. And I know how you your son hurts. And it's a it's a hard thing for them. And to not have success when you expect success at a, such a great level, it's hard to live with that when you're a winner. And you parents love your kids, and you'll support your kids and defend your kids. And I feel for you because I would do the same thing. So, and if you're an avid football fan, hey, you want the same thing as the parents want. You want success, and you want to see everyone graduate. You want to see everybody be injury-free. You want to see everybody be happy. And football is supposed to be a game of celebration. Celebration as a family and a team. You all cry together. You all celebrate together. You all have fun together. And and winning makes that happen. And I think there's a responsibility there to all of you to make that happen. I, I got to go today. I, I'm sorry. That's okay, Coach. But I got so much damn things going on. You know, I got to go. <laughs> well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Coach. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Should be, we'll, be, we'll have a week to digest this and then come back fresh. All right, buddy. Thank you. And uh, happy holidays to everyone out there. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Coach Every Hyde. And everyone else will be back in 30 seconds talking to Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How are you, sir? Uh, uh, I guess I'm the air is, uh, right now is uh, where's USC going now? Uh, and, does it, <laughs> and I guess the question is, does it matter? And I know people say, well, I'll give them a chance to practice some more. And, uh, I, <laughs> and I just start <laughs> thinking how practice went this year. I kind of just giggle. Yeah, we hear that. Well, we don't know yet. Uh, we might not know until after the Pac-12 championship game on Friday night. We'll see, but keep you know, keep us you know, keep checking out uscfootball.com, and we'll have updates and stuff there throughout the week. Anything that we hear, uh, we do have a lot of questions though, Dan. I wanted to jump in there, and there's obviously a lot of main topics that people have written it, uh, wrote, wrote in, wrote in, wrote, <laughs> written in, or uh, called in. And this hard was, to imagine why. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a I, lot think of I was are... still in the press box, and there were 17 pages of uh, comments on the uh, uh, the Notre Dame USC game in the season already before I wow. got out of the press box Saturday night. So how I mean, how crazy is that? It's just been and 
And I, I've tweeted some stuff about it that most of the posts on the Peristyle were about Fire Lane Kiffin, Fire Monty Kiffin. Um, there were some, and you know, and I wanted you to get, a, I wanted to get a comment on that from you. John uh, Bettina wrote in, and he he gave a few reasons why he doesn't like uh, Lane Kiffin. There, he's a current high school coach. He doesn't look at uh, firing coaches lightly. But this is what he wrote in uh, the five reasons. He said he hasn't embraced the the fundamental idea that football is a game of physicality. Like Dan said, he tries to make it too cerebral. That's part of it, but it comes down to physical and mental toughness, and his team has neither Stanford has a bunch of smart kids, but they play tough and they're tough minded. He talks about the the big game record three and eight versus ranked teams isn't very good. Um, too many men on the coaching staff on the offensive side seem to be like, yes, men, and no one really stands up to him. Uh, he also doesn't make halftime adjustments and he's a horrible time manager and game manager. So that's, those were John's five points of why he doesn't think Lane Kiffin should be around and maybe kind of get your, your thoughts on, on that. Wow. John's been, uh, uh, <clears throat> I've never talked to John before either on any of this. Uh, uh, you know, he's on to something. I mean, it's, uh, there are issues that, uh, you know, you look at kind of a program and a coach and you look at the arc, you know, are things getting better or are they not? And, um, uh, this year was, was not a good year, uh, you know, for Lane in, in so many ways. And I know people talked about all the peripheral stuff that really didn't matter, the off-the-field stuff and all of that that, as far as we can tell, you know, didn't matter. But just the basic uh, day-to-day, week-to-week uh, development of this team and making the calls that would give you a chance to really uh, make the best of what you got. I mean, look at Notre Dame. They made the best of what they've got. I, you know, I don't think – a lot of people would trade Notre Dame's roster for USC's roster overall, but Notre Dame made it work and they were tough minded and uh, Kelly changed kind of who he was and adjusted. And, uh, you know, they made a terrific, uh, you know, uh, improvement from last year to this year. And look at the, you know, basically the same two teams pretty much played in South Bend last year. And, uh, you know, look what happened to USC. Look, where, look at the arc of, of where USC has gone from last year to this year. And uh, it makes it difficult to make the case uh, that uh, that it's going in the right direction. And it's a, you know, it's hard to argue with, you know, with some of those points. Uh, you know, things needed to change going into this year, and didn't change at all. And uh, you see the result. I mean, it's uh, you know the biggest drop, and I guess of a number one team, you know, since 1950 Notre Dame. I mean, it just. Uh, just, you know, plunging off the cliff uh, to some extent. And uh, and no ability, it seemed, as the year went on, to make the kinds of course corrections that needed to be made. And the lack of physicality is a real issue, I think. That football is a a game of really physical people trying to do things in a very physical way to stop somebody else from doing something. It's not a game that, you know, that exists, you know, it's not a – uh, you know, a game that's going to exist on a play sheet. It's not a game that's going to, you know, exist on the, you know, you know, your iPad. It's going to, you know, take place right in front of you with people pounding on one another and uh, making people do things they don't want to do or stopping them from doing things they want to do. And you have to understand that. It's a, it's a, t- it's a game for really tough people uh, doing really tough things. And uh, we saw very little ability of USC to do that, to either stop people who, you know, in, in any kind of a 
tough-minded, physical way, or to make you know make people give in to their you know what they wanted to do. Uh, teams, anybody that USC played that had a decent coaching staff and decent talent could basically keep USC from doing what they wanted to do, and USC couldn't stop them from what that from what those teams wanted to do. I mean, they played five halfway decent teams. You know, you could argue about Arizona, and they lost all of them. I mean, that's not good. <laughs> you got to, you know, I mean, come on. You just can't, um, you can't let UCLA out physically. Are you kidding me? Arizona, you know, be stronger at the end. Arizona didn't have, you know, they had, they luckily had 20 guys that, that could play. You know, I mean, they, they had so many injuries and they started out with, with, with not a whole lot of talent. And that they were the, you know, stronger team at the end. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's just, there's some some real issues that that have to be resolved. I mean, you cannot go through the end of this week without resolving some of these issues. I mean, this you know has to be resolved. Right, and uh, we don't want to get into too much, but just because we got a lot of questions to get to. But I don't believe that Lane Kiffin will be gone, and I I've posted that and tweeted that. I I don't think you I think you agree with me, right? Yeah, I have not uh, uh, you know said that that has to happen. It has to change. Has to change big time. The Lane Kiffin of 2012 has to be gone. Yeah. Okay. That Lane Kiffin, that's not a, a successful way to go. And it worries you a little bit when he says that he thinks he likes the way Brian Kelly stuck to his guns and all the criticism and all that. No, Brian Kelly evolved a great deal from the Brian Kelly that came from Cincinnati with the wide open, crazy, wild, you know, high speed you know, all kinds of, you know, stuff that he did at Cincinnati. He couldn't do that at Notre Dame, and he realized it. And he went in the direction of the kinds of players he was going to get at Notre Dame and what they had to do and who they had to be to win football games. So I like the fact, you know, sure, he got criticism. Did he react to the criticism? Yeah, but he really, really, really changed the way uh, he coached. And I thought that was a, a, you know, a great job by Brian Kelly. He couldn't have a lot of talent. He's in the national championship game. Good for him. I mean, it's a great job for Notre Dame. Yeah, certainly a did great it with job. A, did it with a freshman quarterback. I mean, did everything that you have to do uh, and did it really well. They believed in what he was doing. It didn't look like, if you looked at USC's kids, it didn't look like they believed in what they were doing. I mean, you know, their best win of the year, 24-14 at Washington, there was almost a revolt after that game. I mean, they were really upset with the direction the program was going. I mean, that was probably should have been a gigantic tip-off, that how unhappy everybody was after the uh, Washington game with the kind of protect the personnel, uh, save the roster, few plays, you know, prevent offense, all that kind of stuff. It didn't, it didn't go over well, and uh, it wasn't sold well. I mean, it, it seemed like the players didn't even understand that this was the way they were going to have to play. Uh, that's not good. No. Your players shouldn't be upset when you win double digits on the road, which Lane said, which should have been, I think, registered with Lane. There's a disconnect here. Something's not right. Uh, and then where did that defense go? Yeah. It wasn't a bad defensive effort. Then they just completely went away. And, uh, you know, I, I really, 
I hear problems when you, when you're, if you're a coach and you say it all goes back to one misplay at, uh, at Arizona a month ago on a 87-yard misconnection between Barkley and Woods on a play they'd never run in practice, drew it up on the sidelines, didn't hit on it, which, I mean, the, the chances of hitting on an 87-yard pass play that you've never run in practice, those are pretty, pretty slim. And to say that, boy, if we'd have hit that one, you win the Arizona game and everything's going to be okay. Uh-uh. It's not about a single play. It's about the way you play as a football team. And it's the way you understand how you play the game. And that wasn't, that wasn't here. That wasn't, there wasn't enough of that understanding of who USC is as a football team, how they're going to play the game, and how they win. I don't think there was an agreement. I don't think there was an understanding of who they were. I mean, Oregon knows who they are. UCLA seems to have a real identity now. Uh, Notre Dame certainly does. Uh, Stanford does. Very clear. Does USC? I don't know. I don't that think so. That goes to the head coach. <laughs> well, we, we, we agree on the Lane Kiffin. I mean, there's some changes have to happen. Here's a question, a voicemail question about uh, what some of those changes could be. Uh, here you go for that one. J.D. from D.C. calling. Question for Dan Weber, and if he's not too nice, uh, Coach Hyde, uh, is it conceivable at all that Monty Kiffin won't be replaced? Uh, And then with the presumption that he will be replaced, question two, uh, aren't we likely to see some assistant coaching changes, not only because of uh, their personal attachment to Monty Kiffin, but also their strength and their recruitment was primarily working within his system. In other words, if a new defensive coordinator comes in, we're going to have a different system because, after all, that's part of the whole point of changing defensive coordinators, and they'll have to bring in some of their uh, own assistants and acolytes, not only from their personal standpoint, but from a, you know, a, a uh, commitment to uh, a new scheme. Okay, let's see. You see, uh, from D.C., uh, and, and with a question about the uh, D.C., uh, uh, I, I, I would be shocked if Monty is back as the defensive coordinator. I would certainly think there's a place for him in the program. Uh, you know, the one, you know, situation that I've been, you know, pushing is uh, uh, what a, a number of teams have was sort of a, a director, a coordinator of uh, NFL relations where – you're the guy that, you know, uh, deals with the scouts, deals with your players uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, NFL potential and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it would be perfect for Monty. I think he, he deserves to be around the program for as long as he wants to be. A wonderful guy. Uh, whether that automatically means that they're going to go so far away from, from what they're doing uh, I mean, I think, you know, there are parts of what they're doing that could work. I mean, it's obvious that they do work. Uh, so I'm not so sure. I think, you know, I really, I like, you know, Marvin Sanders and, and uh, 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 Scotty Hazleton, the two new coaches, a great deal. I think uh, it was tough in the situation they were in with the way the defense was being called situationally and, and every other way. It might have been difficult to see shine as a coach in those uh, in those situations uh, I think uh, 
Joe Barry, for example, last year uh, as the uh, linebackers coach had been around Monty a lot longer and probably had figured out ways to negotiate uh, what needed to be done on defense uh, uh, maybe more easily than, say, the new guys did this year uh, in conjunction with Monty. I mean, I was kind of shocked that Monty was back this year uh, in, in that role. I think that it's just unbelievably difficult spot when you're uh, seeing all the things you never saw in the NFL. I mean, he didn't have to contend with great athletic running quarterbacks who, you know, were just out of high school that could throw the ball to, a, you know, the open area and in his, you know, in the zone uh, time and time and time again, or uh, uh, quarterbacks who run the ball and, you know, on third down aren't afraid to take off for 10 yards in a first down. And, and you've got nobody checking them. I mean, there are just issues with the overall concept of the defense that just can't possibly, uh, you know, survive in college football the way it is today. And yet USC was kind of, you know, stuck playing it. Therefore, the coaches were stuck coaching it. Now, what happens to them if, uh, if uh, a good bit of that goes away? I, I don't know that it necessarily disqualifies any of the coaches. I think – one of the things that will happen, as we've seen happen with Kennedy Palomalu and Ed Orgeron, where you give them titles because in order to hire them, uh, Kennedy out of the NFL, you had to give him a, uh, a coordinator's title. In order to hire Ed Orgeron with the contract he had at Tennessee, you had to give him a title of a coordinator. So there might be situations that develop in terms of either offensive or defensive bringing in people where uh, their own particular situation is going to determine who else they work with or how that's going to work or whatever. So I, I, I don't think it would be a, uh, you know, I think it would be pre- premature, first of all, to, to try to, to, you know, factor all that out. And secondly, you know, here we are at practice. It's so hard, unless you're at the meetings, to really um, – tell what you think of the performance of a particular coach. And it's like people have jumped on Lamar Dawson as a middle linebacker and he doesn't look like Junior Seau and what's he doing when that's 55. Well, Junior Seau didn't have to play in this particular defense either. Uh, Junior Seau did not have to cover, you know, wide receivers 30 yards down the field. Uh, so I might hold my fire on some of that. I think the big picture stuff, yes, on the specifics, uh, I wouldn't start, you know, scoping out, uh, you know, this guy's coming and this guy's going and, and all that. I think that, I think it's way too early to do that. All right. Um, well, those are some of the coaching things. Those are big topics about coaches and we're not going to go on to that anymore. I don't think, I don't think we have any more questions on that. Um, but I guess the biggest sequence of the game and we were standing next to each other on the sidelines for this, um, we have a voicemail question on that. The the end of the game, the the goal line, the the eight or nine plays, whatever, try to t- go in from the two yard line. Here's a, a voicemail question on that. Yeah, this is Rich from the Toluca Lake. I have two quick uh, questions. Number one, if the coach or uh, Ryan, if you could explain the last five minutes of the game where Kiffin basically lost two minutes with this ridiculous play calling, uh, timeouts, whatever, uh, the score. I would certainly appreciate it because I didn't understand it at all. My other question is, we have two of the more athletic and gifted tight ends in the Pac-12 in Kimball and uh, Telfer. I do not understand why we didn't get them more involved in any of the plays at all for the entire year. Enjoy the show. Look forward.
forward to hearing you guys. I appreciate it. Bye. Okay, to uh, Toluca Lake. Um, uh, you don't see the tight ends. They're they're in the place. They're just blocking. They're like extra tackles. Okay, so if you're going to be a tight end at USC right now, with the lack of faith that they had in the offensive line, you're going to be a tackle. So it almost didn't change that the game at Washington when Max Turk got the tight end number and kind of lined up as a as a blocker. It didn't matter, you know. You didn't, they, they could do that easily. They weren't going to throw the ball to him anyway. So. Uh, that's part of the problem, that they didn't solve the offensive line problem uh, issues. Uh, by the end of spring, they should have realized, uh-oh, losing Matt Khalil is really a big deal, and we have no clue what we're going to do. And now Trey Madden, the one guy who would have been like this you know, gift from heaven, this 230-pound quick kid that, that can run the ball, and not get knocked off his feet and make holes where there aren't any, he's now not going to be available in the fall. Now we got to do something. They didn't. They went with it. They tried to kind of bluff their way through it. didn't work at all. So then that ends up taking the tight ends out of the game. It also took out Matt Barkley's ability to, to go through his progressions. I mean, he often didn't have time to look at the first receiver, much less the second and third. So then – you've got a whole different looking offense, even though they're trying to run some of the same stuff. So, um, you know, I think that, that will, you know, talk to you about the tight ends. What about the last eight or nine snaps at the end? Yeah. I mean, it was clear there, there is no go-to play for this USC team on short yardage at all. Uh, should they have just lined up said, Hey, we got great wide receivers. We, we do a pretty good job throwing to our tight end and, and the goal line situation. Maybe we better just, knowing Notre Dame, uh, line up. We got we got to score twice anyway, so let's just throw it. Throw it, you know, stop the clock, throw it, stop the clock, throw it, and stop the clock. The fact that they kept hammering away and maybe the penalties in terms, you know, it, it kind of gave you a false um, uh, sense of, okay, we're, do, we're doing okay. We're moving up, you know, a foot or two at a time, and the clock's stopping. Uh but uh, uh, they, and I agree with Lane. I don't second guess him for not kicking the field goal, even though people say, "Oh, you needed two scores, you need to kick the field goal." When you're that close against Notre Dame, uh, against a team that had given up going into the game just nine touchdowns, and you know, uh, going into their 12th game, uh, you better take your shot at it. But they just didn't take any good shots at it. Uh, that was the problem. They needed to take better shots, and uh, uh, those were. These were kind of grab bags. These were like, uh, you know, and, and especially, I mean, I think anybody know, around this team knows the one thing you probably don't do is try to get Colin Holmes to really uh, uh, clear away against those big bodies that Notre Dame had in front. That's just not what he does. He blocks the second, you know, second level pretty well. He gets out on linebackers, things like that, very smart, good feet. But uh, to run up right, right behind them like that, uh, and Max Wittick, you know, a quarterback sneak, he's 6'4", 245, but he had never done that before. You know, there might be ways that uh, a fourth-year guy like, you know, Matt Barkley could do it. But uh, but as it turns out, it was, uh, you know, the whole season in eight or nine snaps. Um, all of the indecision, the inability to execute, the lack of physicality, uh, you name it. And it was Notre Dame's whole season, too. This is what they do. And uh, – they put what they do against what USC couldn't do, <clears throat> and you saw, you saw the result.
it was just all right there. Two, two teams, whole season played out in a couple of minutes, not to mention the uh, clock mismanagement on top of everything else. Yeah, I mean, the only time that the team rushed was when they do the play that everyone knows is coming. When the If they break the huddle and just run to the line of scrimmage, you know it's just a sneak. And they've, they, they've, they've never broken that tendency. They did it twice mm-hmm. in a row. The problem is all the time in between that, the, the confusion, the looking around, like what what's going on, the huddle, Lane Kiffin running halfway out and Max Wittick running all the way out. John Martinez, I think it was, sitting in the middle of the field, like putting his shoe on. If you're going to call timeout there or whatever, do something. I mean, there was just no one. It looked like there was a comedy of errors. No one knew what was going on. I'm not blaming John. And it was, or, and it was a comedy know. of errors that started with play one where they've got a guy in motion who – who had to be waved in motion because it was like he didn't know when he was supposed to go in motion. Then you had what looked like jumping on both sides of the center and a, and a motion penalty. Well, the last thing you do when you got first and goal is get a motion penalty. You have a play with complexity. Right. Why would you run a play with some sort of complexity? And after the game, the most discouraging part of that is neither Max Wittick nor Lane Kiffin knew why they got the penalty. They both said they thought it was motion, but well, not have any idea why they got motion. What what motion? What exactly happened? What was the? That was pretty discouraging. I mean, that's where you just you're first and two. You got four plays to get it in from the two. You don't do anything to get a five yard penalty. Not no. against Notre Dame. Well, and then uh, part of the problem was that it, the time was running out anyway. They just they got to the two, and. They took forever to get up. They were, had to get to the line of scrimmage and snap the ball quickly. So I think the motion really was a product of the the play clock was almost out. They would have got. I thought it was a delay, but it would have it would have been a delay anyway if there wasn't a motion there because they get that huge play and then no one knew what to do. Everyone's like running around chicken with their head cut off. Right, and 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 yeah, was Lane looking at his play sheet? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. You know, there are ways that you can use the play sheets, and you know, having just been a high school coach and all that. I was never a big place guy, but I'm guaranteeing you, you get to the goal line, you don't look at your play sheet. If you don't know what the hell you're going to do, when you got first and two, come on. Coach, you have to know what you're going to do. And even if you spend a second looking at your play sheet, somebody ought to just grab it and tear it up. I mean, come on. You've got to. Laminated. First and, just, yeah. Maybe you got you know grab one of the trainer's scissors and cut it up. Do something. You know, just get rid of it. You can't. You know, you, uh, honestly, you gotta know if you're any kind of level uh, football coach. You get first and two. You aren't looking at your play sheet, or you shouldn't be. Right. Uh, well, let's look. Let's talk uh, about the defense a bit. Here's a voicemail question about the defense. I refuse to believe that all these five stars talent on defense aren't any good. I refuse to believe these defensive backs aren't talented. So it must be the coaching scheme. It just has to be. Also, a guy who I have supported ad nauseum, Lane Kiffin, is extremely disappointing. It reminds me of fourth and two with Reggie Bush on the sideline and interviewed him yesterday, I understand, that he said he would do the same play. I mean, is he stubborn? Is he a spoiled brat? 
I don't understand this. This is absolutely, let me stop before I fight on forever. Pretty good one. <laughs> stubborn, uh, stubborn, yes. And stubborn not a bad quality for a big-time college football coach. I mean, you think John McKay wasn't you know, stubborn? Stubborn is, is good. Uh, Bear Bryant wasn't stubborn. But there are places where stubborn runs into reality. And with guys like John McKay or Bear Bryant or you go and name them, reality reality wins out and their team wins out and uh uh and that you know is kind of the problem here i mean you look at i mean honestly i i try to almost not watch the secondary the the back seven actually in third and long but i force myself to just look at them and look at nothing else against notre dame and to watch kids who are basically lining up really, really deep to begin with, almost in a semi-prevent, you know, where you've got the safety at times close to 20 yards deep. And the next two guys, if this is one of those, where if this is a nickel where you got five backs, where you got two guys that are maybe 12 yards deep, and then you got, uh, you know, two corners who are a little closer, maybe seven, eight yards. And at the snap of the ball, every one of them takes off running full speed, as deep as they can get, as if it's a Hail Mary pass situation at the end of the game. And then if you're the opponent, you just look around and you say, hmm, will I throw the easy pitch and catch to a wide-open receiver? Or am I a really athletic uh, quarterback? Do I just run it myself? You know, all i got to do is negotiate the four defensive linemen who are getting, you know, outnumbered at, at the point of attack. And uh, it's kind of stunning to think, how could you possibly make a play? If you're one of those guys, you're already past the point where making a play even matters. So now you're so far out of it and you haven't been, you know, really going full speed and tackling and physical in practice. So now you got to come up. So now they overcompensate as, as Hayes Fillard said, one of their problems is you got guys trying to make the big knockout hits. This is what four and five star kids do. They want to make a really big play and you know, all of a sudden the play is almost over and they're out of the play to start with. They're trying to come back, bad angle, bad form, leave their feet, lead with their upper body, uh, all of those kinds of things, and uh, and you got all those missed tackles. So it's a, a combination of a lot of things, but it's uh, a lot of it is you're putting kids in positions not to be successful, and uh, and that's kind of a shame. Uh, okay, a couple more, Dan, before we let you go. I know we weren't going to talk about coaching, but there are some more questions. Um, okay. This was a good point, though. Tim said, besides losing Matt Khalil, the only difference between last year's team and this year's are the three new coaches, Marvin Sanders, T. Martin, and Scotty Hazelton. Could this have something to do with our talent regressing this year? The secondary was worse. Even Roby was better last year. The quarterbacks have been out of sync with the receivers all season, and the linebackers were a better group last year. Some good points, and what do you think about what Tim said? <laughs> well, I think um... – I think we, we downplay it when we, we, we don't mention that Red Ellison was there. Red Ellison gave them the ability to have a, a an H-back tight end type who they can move around and they could get him to the point of attack. So I think a combination of Red Ellison and Matt Khalil gave the offense a physicality that this offense doesn't. And, and believe it or not, Mark Tyler mattered. Mark Tyler was 220-plus pounds. And he could he could score the football. He was a pounder. He had some natural instincts. Uh, you know, there were always some issues with Mark, but he gave him a dimension 
this offense doesn't have that made up for some of the lack in the offense. Uh, but uh, defensively, I think probably Joe Barry uh, understanding Monty and having, you know, been with Monty 12 years uh, in the NFL, I think, something like that. I think it gave Joe Barry more ability to understand what he and his linebackers had to do uh, with regard to the way the defense was going to be called and set up. And I think that was a tough learning experience. And, and the same for, uh, you know, for Marvin Sanders. Uh, I think it was a tough learning experience for them, uh, even though both of them were kind of, you know, the Tampa 2 specialists and colleagues and all of that. I think they were, both of them were much more, if you looked at where they came from and, and how the, you know, Nebraska corners played or how the um, uh, uh, North Dakota State, when they won the national championship last year, how they played. Uh, those were shutdown defenses. Those were, you know, teams that didn't back off people at all. And here they are now having to teach kids, you know, kind of a much more of a backing off. I mean, you watch Josh Shaw trying to run with uh, Tyler Eifert, you know, Notre Dame 6-7 tight end, and he's just negotiating, uh, you know, the play downfield and the football and looks very smooth and poor Josh Shaw can't stand up, you know, on his feet because of the where he starts out in the play and the way they've got him with his back to the, you know, the football and all of that, that you know. So I think it's easy to, you know, to point at the coaches, but um, I think it's the overall, uh, you know, direction of the defense and the overall coordination of the defense is more important. But did they regress? Yeah. I mean, that's something you really got to look at. What happened to those three lines? I, mean, I spent a lot of time after the game with Hayes Pillard saying, what happened to those guys? that pretty much for three quarters shut Oregon down in at Oregon. They shut Notre Dame down in South Bend. Where did those guys go? And the kids look at you and they, they kind of give you that stare like, I wish the heck we knew. They're just not here. Same guys. You're older. And they're gone. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's inexplicable in some way. A lot of the season has been. Um, <laughs> well, you mentioned the linebacker. We did have a question uh, from Jason. Could um, – oh, Deion Bailey. He's like talking about Deion Bailey. Could Deion Bailey be switched back to safety, assuming Nikhil Roby stays? Sua Craven signs a secondary of Bailey at strong safety. Craven's at free safety. Roby and Shaw at the corner sounds good to me. That's uh, from Jason. I like I like Bailey's ball skills. I just think they're terrific. And to get, to have that kind of a hitter and that kind of, he's got great catch up speed. I mean, his ability to go from here to there and beat a guy to a football is uh, he uh, he may have the best on the team. I, I think he does have the best uh, ability to get from where he is to the the football before the offensive player can. So I wouldn't have any problem in, in doing that. I, I like the sound of that, and it certainly I think would. Uh, 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 ease up a little bit on the wear and tear. Dion, you know, just gets pounded. And uh, I think that's where he's going to be playing at the next level. I think he could be a great, great safety uh, in college football. So, uh, and a, kind of a classic USC safety, um, you know, 215 pounds and a, and, a, and a guy who can play the football and hit you and, and take it away from people and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the sound of that a lot, and I think that'd be a, a real pick me up for Dion. I think he knows where he's going to be at the next level, so uh, I, I really like that a lot. That gives you a veteran presence because uh, uh, you know the other safety is going to be new. So uh, I, I like that a lot. 
And one last one, Dan. Um, we there's no openings or anything left, but Jeff in Fargo, North Dakota. He's from Fargo, so we had to get him on here. Hey, yeah. Um, can't he wanted to know any candidates off the top of your head for offensive and defensive coordinators? I know you already talked about the the issues of having guys with those titles already that probably would still remain on the staff. But any any thoughts out there of guys they might want to bring in? I'm not. You know, I think the defensive coordinator thing is. is, is, is I just think that's kind of speculation that it's just of, of not much value uh, because everybody's in a different situation at a different place, whether it's, you know, an elevation of one of the, one of the, you know, current coaches in order to, um, um, uh, or where it's shared responsibility. I think Gerard mentioned that on the, on the P today. And I think that's a really uh, good prospect where, where somehow you would share the responsibilities among a couple of coaches uh, offensive coordinator, I mean, the one name that I've put out there, it's just because of the working relationship, it would be Jeff Tedford at Cal. And I had put that out there before he got fired with the idea that he was the guy that, you know, Lane, his, Lane's original mentor, the guy who Lane, uh, uh, who talked Lane into, you know, going into coaching, somebody who could probably share, um, basically take the play calling sheet away from Lane and take it up into the press box. And, uh, and could mentor Lane. Uh, I mean, people, you know, are down on Tessard now, but he did a great job his early years at Cal. I mean, he really, uh, you know, did a great job, and I think it would still be a shared responsibility. Uh, uh, Lane's not giving it up completely. That's just not. But it would, would free Lane to coach everybody and to stay in the game, keep his head up, uh, stay in with the players, stay in with his coaches. Um, that has to happen. He can't keep uh, you know, just, you know, head in the play calling sheet. So if there were a person that you would bring in to share things with Lane uh, and to kind of take those burden away and, and somebody that could probably work with quarterbacks and all that, now it might require some shuffling around because there are some people on the staff that I think do a pretty good job and are really worthwhile guys in so many ways. And so you might have to re kind of rework uh, some of the duties and things like that. But, uh, but that would be the one direction I might look now. Does Tedford, who's got a few years left and a whole lot of money, does he want to get right back into coaching uh, or not? You know, would this be a good way for him to spend a couple of years and then get back in, you know, to be in a head coach? Or does he want to be a head coach again? I don't know. But I would, I would look in the, that direction because it's going to have to be somebody really comfortable with sharing the reins with Lane and Lane really comfortable with sharing the reins with them has to happen they cannot go into another year saying uh i can't give it up because what else would i do you know during the game so, <laughs> i guess if just read the p you'll find some suggestions yeah. <laughs> for things you could do during the game uh so uh I, I would think that one you could speculate a little bit more about who those people might be that, that could come in and 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 kind of share things with lane all right. Well, Dan, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, no practice this week, but we'll find out what's going on with the bowl games, and uh, we'll see you on the Peristyle. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Ryan. And see everyone you. else, hey, if you're if you're not on the Peristyle, we are offering a 30-day free trial to uscfootball.com right now. So just go sign up and use the promo code USC30. And if you're already a subscriber, today is Cyber Monday. We are offering gift subscriptions. So if you are a subscriber and you give a gift of a uscfootball.com subscription to a friend of yours or a relative or whatever, you'll get 30 days free as well. So uh, lots of stuff going on Cyber Monday on uscfootball.com. So you can 
check all that out. Go to uscfootball.com for more information. Thanks very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.